Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, good to see you again. Everything is better. It's 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 amazing. Winning cures everything, doesn't it? It really does. You've heard <laughs> me say often in my business, the insurance business, that production solves all problems. Well, the same thing obviously holds true in sports, particularly team sports. It's just a whole different mindset when you're coming off a win. It does not matter. If it's a win over somebody you were supposed to beat or a win over somebody you weren't supposed to beat, as we said on our first first look show, a win is a win is a win, and Florida State needs them. We said that, and we said that we weren't going to nitpick in our first look show, and I really don't want to nitpick today. I think we all understand where the program is. It's heading the right direction. There are flaws. There are mistakes that need to get corrected and fixed. But what we have seen is evolution and growth in a really short time just over the last calendar month from one game to the next, I think it was. Think about this. Think about this. You want to, we'll nitpick this. What if you could put the second half of the Notre Dame together, Notre Dame game together with the first half of the North Carolina game? That's 60 minutes of pretty good football. I think it's a good point that you bring up because the second half of the Notre Dame game, more specific, the last three minutes of the Notre Dame game, that was some message sending right there. We were watching the game. Fans watched the game. Nobody really thought Florida State had, you know, the win probability on ESPN for FSU at that point would have been point zero 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 one that you were somehow going to go 99 yards, recover an onside kick, and score again. But that's not where Coach Norv – I mean, that might be part of his thought process, but the other part is just teaching that you never quit, you play all 60 minutes the same, all the coaches' cliches that we can make fun of, but then you see it carry over the next week, and you understand there's a method to the madness. A couple of things that I'm anxious to see uh, up at Louisville, uh, and I don't mean to be necessarily specific, but one of the issues that we've talked about a lot is production or lack thereof from the defensive line. I thought, we, I was, were, I thought, I thought we weren't going to nitpick. 
Well, we, 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 we lasted about four minutes. That's, a, that's probably okay. a record for us. Let, let the nitpicking begin. <laughs> but I was very impressed with Marvin Wilson and, and uh, Kane Doe and J-Rob, and I, I don't even know who was at the three, on the last couple of minutes of that North Carolina game where they were showing great hustle, much like the last couple of three minutes of the Notre Dame game. So now you've got your stars, your, your name players that appear to be buying into the concept of 60 minutes, 1%, the climb, the things that this coaching staff has been preaching since they got here. That's very, very encouraging to me. Uh, and I'm anxious to see how that, how that transcends and what that means when they go up to Louisville. We, in the offseason, people start – playing the counting game, the guessing game on how many wins. And pretty early in this season, maybe right after the Georgia Tech game, or maybe we even said it beforehand, to me, the thing I've wanted to see for several years that we haven't seen, just be better than the sum of your parts. I mean, it's okay to improve along the way. Plenty of teams do it. It hasn't happened at Florida State the last few years. Not just Taggart, so I'm not singling out Coach Taggart. I mean, frankly, the end of the Jimbo era was – was a little like that as well. But get better as the season progresses. Take your parts and be better than their, than their sum. And that, I think, is what has me the most excited, even understanding that there will be a, a backup here. It's not going to be linear. There will be an egg laid, potentially. I hope there's not. But, I mean, it's not going to be completely moving in the right direction. There will be some stop and start to it. Agreed. And as we've talked about, until they finally did get the win against UNC, the optics are important. Uh, obviously, we're not in on game planning, and we've not watched uh, the Adam Fuller defense and the Kenny Dillingham offense to know what to expect. Uh, you know, we're still new watching it. They're still new installing it. But you, you, you want to see what appears to be improvement. The one thing that I've always said, and, and our listeners are tired of me repeating my cliches, but they're cliches for a reason, is the one thing you can control as a player is your effort. And you can have, subject to fatigue, I get, that you can have the same degree of effort on play one as you can on play 79. That's the one thing you control that has nothing to do with the opponent, the people in the stands, the weather, or what the scoreboard reads. And seeing that continued effort at the tail end of Notre Dame, the tail end of UNC, one, a blowout loss, the other, a very tight win, but over a nationally ranked team, optically appears very good to me. That was impressive to me. To be fair, the effort was not the issue in the second half against Miami. And I know we discount it because the game was out of hand. But I thought, and some of it was younger guys, we even saw it then, and Jacksonville State we dismissed because it's Jacksonville State, but after Travis came in, the second quarter and the second half were solid there too. Again, we'd throw it out because it was Jacksonville State, their first game of the year. All those things are trending in the right direction. I do worry this week, this is a team that has not experienced a lot of success. They've not had prosperity. Case in point, they were winning big at halftime, and Mike Norvell's thinking the same thing because he wouldn't let him go into the locker room until he talked to him on the field. And I'm sure that message was, hey, guys, it's a 60-minute game, so this first 30 minutes, wipe it, it means nothing. 
Well, it still came down to the wire, and now you've got a week of, hey, guys, that was great. We won a big game last week, but that doesn't do anything. The only thing that does for this week is it gets Louisville's attention as they look at film preparing for FSU. Other than and, that, and Louisville coming off of a loss in which they played very well and took Notre Dame right down to the wire. Um, I, I don't think you're going to have to preach much to this group. They're going to see it on tape in that Notre Dame game that this is a Louisville cr- a group that has some talent, uh, has some explosive players. I think we've all come to understand that Satterfield is a very, very good coach because he's got Louisville playing in a much different letter. I, I know they've only won one game this year, but he's got them playing at a much different level very quickly. And, um, you know, you better have your, your, your helmet strapped on good and you better have your mind right or you can go up there, as you say, and very easily lay an egg. So hopefully that's not what happens. Hopefully we continue to this trajectory. But all in all, as I look back, I mean, that was that potential a few years to, from now to, to really be the moment we all point back and say, this is when they were bought in. This is when we saw it because of that 60-minute effort. And, you know, you don't turn a corner 90 degrees sharp left. That's not what's going to happen here. It's we're going to be rounding around that corner to get where we want to go, but we've at least started the turn. It's, it's not going to be a V-shaped recession. It's going to be a U-shaped – oh, I'm sorry, I said recession. My bad. It's going to be a U-shaped, U-shaped <laughs> rebound. <laughs> you understand the point I'm making there, though. Very much, very much. I continue to be impressed with Jordan Travis. I know that's stating the obvious. Everybody is. I, not even the question about, well, why didn't Taggart and company use him last year? I mean, at this point, who cares? That, that, the answer to that question doesn't matter. Uh, more, yeah, we know he can run, he can make some throws, but he, he, and I know he had a bad interception, but he still comes across and performs better than a guy who's made two starts and hadn't played in two years since high school. In the uh, interview sessions this week, I believe on Tuesday, um, Cameron, uh, the tight end, uh, was talking. What's his last name? I keep forgetting. McDonald. McDonald, thank you. Everybody calls him Cam. I, I called him Cameron and hoping that would uh, refresh my memory. Well, that made me think you were talking about Jeff Cameron. I didn't know you were on a last name basis with him, but, but you were talking about Cameron McDonald. Correct. Boy, we've wasted way too much time on my lack of recall. Anyway, <laughs> Cameron McDonald said, that part of what they did in practice last week was work on the scramble drill. You and I talked about that in the first look show. Folks that understand that when Travis gets out of the pocket, he can throw the ball very well. But once you break out of the pocket on something that is not a designed rollout boot or waggle, then you go into a prescribed methodology called the, the scramble drill where receivers that are in certain positions know to get to other positions. Well, a lot of what they worked on as it relates to that scramble drill, Tommy, was after practice. It wasn't during organized practice. It was after practice when, when Jordan asked his receivers to stay out on the field, and they worked on that individually on their own. That is very impressive in terms of optics to me as well. Yeah, he's been a he's got the intangible quality. He's likable. 
is what, and that's not that James Blackman wasn't, but Jordan Travis has something about him. I don't know if you want to go and say it's the it factor. Productivity helps. I mean, obviously he's moving the chains. He turns busted plays into three-yard gains or, or plays that you thought you were going to get an easy 15 yards, you know, and you're, you beat a blitz and you still end up getting three or four. So that helps, but he seems to be likable. Obviously the fan base is going to be latched on given the productivity. I don't mean to put it all on him, but because maybe we would have seen some of this growth in effort and intensity from the rest of the team without it, but it certainly doesn't hurt when that's the effort the quarterback is leaving on the field. One other thing that he has that fits into, you know, the definition of it, uh, and it reminds me so much of Trent Forrest last year during Florida State's basketball season, is he just has – Jordan just has an ability to make everyone better around him. You know, you, you want to put forth the effort for him. And I would tell you, in a, in a smaller way, uh, LaDamian Webb in, in is um, responsible for that from his offensive lineman. When you see how hard he runs and you see how he finishes runs and you see how he bounce, uh, bounces up and gets back to where he's supposed to be and how he delivers a blow and doesn't receive a blow as an offensive lineman, that is very encouraging. That, that falls into the uh, category of making those around you better because you want to perform for him. So there are a lot of, uh, of those intangible things going on. Is this a team that's going to be ready to compete for a national championship? No, not at all. Are they going to compete for the ACC championship? No, not at all. But are they bought in or seem to be bought into the 1% and the climb and, and playing for each other? It sure looks that way been quite the turnaround 180 degrees here just over three or four weeks okay we have a great show ahead as always our Osceola insider Bob Ferrante will join us next segment we'll pick his brain then Keith and I will continue to pontificate about the 12 noon showdown with Louisville oh man it was a 12 noon game remember that debacle several years ago I, to... I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna go there so yeah so I went a... I went to the nitpicking and you went to the to the debacle we're both guilty well, this is this is what you call human nature. The other night, Keith, you said your 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 most vivid memory of Louisville is me standing in the rain for four hours, and I just went to the debacle from 2016. Actually, you misunderstood, Tom. It wasn't my vision of you standing in the rain. It was my vision of me not standing in the rain. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's, that's <laughs> the other side of the coin. Uh, that said, you know, Florida State is 16 and four all time against Louisville. There's, there's some yes, they are. terrible wins in there that uh, maybe we should look at it that way. Anyway, well, there was a pretty interesting win in 1979 at the fairgrounds up there, and some defensive back had an interception right on the goal line to keep uh, Louisville from winning, or excuse me, scoring in a game that I believe was a 27 nothing shutout. But I may be mistaken. I remember when we had Bobby Butler on the show a couple years ago. I hope he's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean that was you? Oh, be right. glad I like you. All right, we'll take a break, come back, and uh, we'll refocus on current day uh, Florida State football right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front 
Monroe Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones, joined by our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, who joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And, Bob, just as you predicted in your pregame article last week, Florida State 31, North Carolina 28, congratulations. At the time, I wasn't quite sure that it would be that low scoring, but you nailed it. What an idiot I am. I mean, seriously. Um, (laughs) So Jerry and Mark Salva nailed it with their prediction that Florida State was going to win. Pat Burnham and myself, yep, we uh, we goofed. We missed it. So we've got the wrong insiders on. We've got the outsiders on is what you're telling me. Yeah. But let's don't talk about what the, coast, the co-hosts thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's this is what makes sports fun. Sports, we think about it being predictable. But when the unpredictable is what you get, this is why we're all sports fans, honestly, if you boil it down. Because, I mean, this is why sports, it's, it's reality television before the network started producing reality TV. It's been out there forever. And As the cliche goes, if you're the underdog and a sizable underdog, you've got to have a couple turnovers to make some things happen. And what happens the first drive? You know, you get that punt block, and that leads you to a quick touchdown. You know, Kendo's interception was an easy touchdown, a walk-in for him. So it, it, it had to happen. It, it, was, it was a fun night at Doak. I think that's one of the things that still makes everybody maybe smiling still days later is that you haven't had too many nights where as a fan you walk out of Doak thinking, wow, that was fun, had a great time, that the team's looking good. You can see signs of progress. And, and on Saturday, a lot of people, again, only 18,000 there, but they were loud, and, and I think they walked – home to their cars thinking, wow, that was, that was really cool. That was something special. Let's talk special teams. That's not something I say often, but Mike Norvell preached that they were going to be good on special teams. Lots of coaches say that. So we heard it. Didn't know if that was lip service or if that was the legit game plan. But now we're five games in, and some metrics have Florida State number one in the country in special teams efficiency. I mean, that's, that's doing something. Yeah, they're practicing it. They've got good technique. Yeah, a guy like Marvin Wilson has, has blocked a, what, a field goal attempt and, and now a punt. You know, they're, they have speed off the edge with what Ja'Kai Douglas did on that first punt. Um, it, it means something to them. I think there's still segments where they really got to get better, uh, especially, you know, settle in Ryan Fitzgerald, a, a young kicker. Uh, he missed two on Saturday. And I think one of those – was probably on the sideline. It looked like they got that field goal unit out there really, really late and had to rush that kick instead of calling a timeout. So when you lose those chances to get some, I won't call them easy points because any field goal in the 30s is still a challenge. But when you miss out on those those chances, it it leaves you frustrated. But I think overall through five games, the snapshot is that that special teams is considerably better and we think that it's going to get even better than, than what we've seen so far too. I, I couldn't another agree. Part, excuse me, Tom. Another part of the of the program, if you will, that has gotten better that we didn't think was going to get better is the running game. Still with uh, thoughts and, and 
issues with the offensive line, production on the ground has been much improved this year to last. You know, it's been interesting to look at that, even with the struggles against Georgia Tech and Miami. You know, Florida State averaged last year 3.8 yards per carry with Cam Akers, a, a number second-round draft pick, good, good running back. This year, 4.6 yards per carry. Rushing yards per game, they're already up 40 yards per game compared to last year. There's all kinds of good in there and some reasons why, whether it's Jordan Travis and how he uses his legs, how he likes to throw it deep and, and how the, you know, the defenses aren't able to, to load the box quite so much anymore and that kind of loosens up the run game. You've got some first-year program guys like, like Corbin to Philly, Damian Webb. They've run hard. The offensive line looks better. Maybe that's a result of Jordan Travis, but I think the offensive line looks much, much better with a lot of new pieces too. So the run game, this is Florida State's identity. And I don't think it's always been a Mike Norvell thing to have the run game be this focal part, this we're going to lead with the run. But that's the way it's feeling like it's going to be this year. And it's good to see the running game come together behind an offensive line that was our biggest question mark going into the season. They've, they've really improved considerably. Side note from my world of fantasy football, Bob, and I love Cam Akers, and he's gotten nicked up this year, so hasn't played a lot. But lo and behold, the first, the starting running back for the Rams is a Mike Norvell guy, Daryl Henderson, who's getting more touches than Cam Akers by a long shot, for whatever that's worth. And I hope Cam comes around, but uh, the other guy, the Norvell guy, is the one who's toting the football for, for L.A. right now. Um, you know, another thing that Mike Norvell has done, and I don't have the game notes in front of me, but he's one of – at Memphis – pretty sure he's one of the only programs that's that's or he might have led the country I know he led the country his team did in kick returns for touchdowns over the last few years but he's had at least two defensive touchdowns for the last several years too and lo and behold not that he has two yet but we got one out of Joshua Kando which none of us could have predicted that Kando would score and that the defensive line would show up the way it did the other night We've asked the coaching staff, we've asked the players, I'll ask you, what happened? I mean, where was the switch and who flipped it? It's, it's the biggest mystery. I think all the guys point to energy and just how they felt like they were close against Notre Dame and, and just how they practiced when they got back off the plane from South Bend. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me why all of a sudden after game four, going into game five, you decide you're going to bring more energy, more intensity, whatever the words are. You would think it would come from the start, from week one. I have to think part of it is maybe comfort in the scheme. It is a brand new scheme. You didn't have the spring to implement it. I think we've all kind of gone through these storylines. But if you're looking for, you know, Jerry uses this term, is it a reason or an excuse? If you're looking for a reason why, I think you have to point to a lot of the lack of time to develop players, lack of time to work together within schemes. And now we're finally starting to see it. Um, North Carolina was a good but not great offensive line, but still we saw guys flying to the ball, making plays in the backfield constantly. It's the kind of thing that we thought we would see in week one, but again, it was delayed. Hopefully this is a sign to come for, for the coming weeks that, this defensive line wants to be dominant 
and that's going to make that defense just worlds better because it takes all the pressure off the secondary, which I think was just, you know, trying to hang on for, for weeks and weeks there. Speaking of the secondary, speaking of the defense uh, in general, still giving up a bunch of yardage, 550-plus against Carolina, still giving up points. But they, the optics are, and, and I've used that term way too much in this particular broadcast, but the optics are better. We talked about the defensive line. The DBs got beat on some plays. There was some pass interference calls. But I like the way they played better than giving those huge cushions and let people run free. Yeah, they're, they're giving up a ton of yards in the air. I mean, it's, it's like 282 yards a game. It just sounds absurd to even, to even hear that. But I think the pass rush, once that is a consistent mark, and, and we're going to see that is, I think that's going to be a huge start. Um, I think we're seeing some deliberation from the coaches as far as, for example, linebacker. How much do you use veterans versus, you know, throw some freshmen out there like like Stephen Dix and, and DJ Lundy, and you take your lumps with them and they're going to make mistakes. But, you know, we saw – I think they said Dix was out there for 80 or so plays on Saturday, which must have been almost every play because <laughs> it seemed like UNC always always had the ball and control of the time of possession. But I think they are starting to look at those kids and say, okay, you know, week five, week six, we're getting in the middle of the year. How much can we count on you? How much can we use you? And they're starting to figure out which, which guys are it. And, you know, Travis J came back. They, they've got some pieces coming back. Who knows what's going to happen with Hamso Nasraldine. But as the pieces all come back together, I, I think this defense is going to shape up to one where we're going to say it looks worlds better and different against North Carolina, you know, mid-season, later in the season than what we saw week two, three, four. Which points back to it's okay to get better as the season goes on. And Mike Norvell, again, I don't have the record in front of me. His November record, pretty good when he was at Memphis. I mean, his teams got better, and we can see that just over the last three weeks or so at Florida State. Who's going to end up being the corner opposite Asante Samuel, Jr.? Wow. Yeah, that, that's a that's a tough one, right? Because it it feels like there's been a tryout between you know Jarian Jones and Akeem Dent. We've seen Miko Dotson over there. Um, you know, I, I think Brownlee's played a little mix of corner and safety, maybe. So I'm kind of at a loss. I think they've tried out a lot of different options. Um, I think Miko had one really bad hold that didn't get called um, on that last drive, maybe, and he might be one of their better corners, but he's just kind of undersized against some of these taller receivers. So I, I don't know from a one-on-one matchup standpoint, if you're going man a lot, how much confidence you have in Miko. Plus he's a, a grad transfer. This might be his last year on campus. So do you weigh a veteran player now versus a developing younger guy? It doesn't feel like they have guys who either feel comfortable yet in that role or they're just – I'm kind of at a loss. I, I don't know. Well, to your point about whether you play a younger guy, they've shown that they're not afraid to play a younger guy, but I think they're going to play the guy who's best equipped to help the team right now, whether he's a younger guy or an older guy. Uh, Keith, I don't know if you disagree with what you've seen. I mean, No, I don't. I, do, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think yeah. you, you take a player like Dix who uh, is – 
mature beyond his years. I mean, he is a true freshman, but he carries himself. Um, he, he's, he's playing the, the mic position. He's making calls. Um, that is an impressive feat in and of itself. And then he's playing well. Now, he made a couple of mistakes. He talked about that during this week. He had one particular uh, run lane that he, he basically went the wrong way. Uh, and I don't mean he went left, he was supposed to go right, but he went in the three-hole, he should have been in the five-hole, or he'd have stopped a, a long play. That is mistakes you can live with as long as he is bringing people down, making the calls, bringing people down when he gets on the field. And um, that's why he plays – 79, 80, 81 plays, whatever the count was. What was going on with – so Amari Gaynor only played nine plays last week, and I know they were in nickel really as their base, so Jarvis Brownlee was out there. Was something else up with Gaynor? Because it feels like if you're going to go to nickel, Amari Gaynor is still one of your best 11 to have out there. Right, and and Pat Burnham and Mark Salvin, we talk on our podcast, they they've have felt going into this game that Amari Gaynor was their best guy in the front seven, hands down. It wasn't even close. And all of a sudden to see him only there for nine, ten, however many plays it ended up being, it just felt really weird. You know, a couple times we were looking, it, was he injured? Was there a reason why? It didn't seem to make any sense, especially with the volume of snaps that North Carolina was playing, you know, why Gaynor wasn't in there more. It sounds like Norvell liked that sub package that, that Gaynor was in, but – Again, that was kind of one of those mysteries as, as to why he wasn't out there so much. I felt like all year he was an impactful player. So you need that kind of guy coming off the edge or, you know, stopping the runner. So kind of a we'll see moving forward. And, and I think I think against Louisville, that's a guy you're going to have to count on because there's so many speedsters all around the ball. They like to run it. They're very dynamic. You want a guy like Gaynor out there trying to stop those big plays. Guys, one of the things that does happen, though, during the game, and, and this is not a criticism, this is just a fact, but sometimes coaches lose track of their substitution packages, particularly when you're going up against the North Carolina, although they were not high tempo, they were going without huddle, and, you know, you're up by two touchdowns, now you're up by three touchdowns, you've had a defensive score, you don't want to change anything. And the reason I say that is that might be an answer as to why uh, Amari wasn't in there. It's also the answer that was stated as to why you didn't see Tolfili because they got a hot hand with Webb and, and they didn't have that many offensive plays. They only had like 51 snaps on the offensive side. And, and the coaching staff admitted during interviews this week that, you know, that was a mistake. They got to find a way to get Lawrence in there. And, and potentially that might be an explanation to some sort as to why Amari wasn't in there as much. Right. Good point. Cause Norvell said, I, to your point, it was 55 plays and it just seemed really weird not to have Toa Philly in there because he had been so dynamic, um, especially as a receiver out of the backfield. It felt like he was a guy and, and we were all kind of questioning who was going to be a pass catcher with Tamari and Terry out. And I, I sort of said, well, look to the tight ends and the running backs because as much as you're looking for a receiver to emerge look for those sure-handed guys to get those short and intermediate passes or those you know, kind of yards after catch type of plays. I, I was really curious, you know, why Tofilly wasn't in the mix. But again, maybe that's also a case where he's a freshman and you've got, you know, a junior college transfer in, in Webb who's really exceptional, physical and elusive, as well as Corbin with his experience. So 
this was also a question going into year two, right? Where we were curious, how are they going to keep all these running backs happy? And sometimes it's tough to keep all yep. those running backs happy. But I, I do think we're going to see a lot of toe feeling moving forward. So, Bob, putting you on the spot because Coach Norvell plays the uh, the injury card close to the vest. Are we going to see Tamari and Terry back this week, or is he going to not return until after the bye week? Yeah, I think the timing of the surgery just sort of made sense as far as let's go in there, clean up the knee, see exactly what it is once we get in there as a doctor and, and do our work. And with the bye week coming up here on October 31st, you know, then Florida State can see how Terry gets back in with practice as they lead up to the pit game on the 7th. Or if it doesn't work out for that, you do have Clemson on the 14th. It kind of feels like you want to have Tamari and Terry for one of your biggest games of the year. So, you know, this has been described by a lot of people as a very short-term injury. Um, Tamarian hasn't talked or given any real indication. But as we saw pregame, he was out there putting weight on that left foot, on that left knee. He was catching passes. He put the crutches down. So I think all of those are just good, small indicators of this isn't a long-term knee injury. So I think it's sooner rather than later. I think I'm circling Pitt on November 7th as, as the likely return date. Bob, we appreciate it. Always good to catch up, especially after wins against the number five team in the country. So maybe we'll do it next week after a uh, win up at Louisville. I was going to say Louisville's not number five, but hopefully it's after a win. Appreciate it, Bob. Our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. We'll take a break. Come back with more Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We have uh, kicked Keith Jones aside for this segment, but Bob Ferranti is going to stay with us uh, an extended edition with our Osceola Insider as we reopen the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency insuring your together. Say hello to an old friend. Uh, I guess technically maybe he's a foe this week since he's part of the Louisville coaching staff, but Derek Nicholson is a former linebacker from Florida State, and uh, we're doing this via Zoom, so it's good to see you and connect. Uh, we'll reminisce a little, maybe talk a little X's and O's, but Coach, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Well, I know it's a, it's a work week for you. So, uh, you know, rather than talk the X's and O's first, we're both curious. When did you decide that coaching was what you wanted to pursue? I don't recall. Maybe I just – I don't remember this. You know, I'm getting older. I don't remember everything. But when you were playing, I know you were, a, a, you know, a linebacker at Florida State, had a lot of success. I don't remember thinking that you were you were ticketed to be into the college coaching game. So what, what – so what do you attribute that? Well, when when when, when I had a, another significant knee injury, um, you know, and attempted to continue my um, football career playing professionally, you know, started off with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, when I had another um, knee injury, it's the same knee I got hurt, the same knee I hurt, excuse me, in, in uh, at Florida State my sophomore year, I was forced to kind of retire, and so I got into coaching high school football actually in 2011. Uh, in North Carolina, back near my hometown in Greensboro. 
uh, North Carolina. So I started there coaching high school for a year. And I just I found a passion and, and a love um, for helping kids and and, and, and still and get that sense of um, that, that competitive drive and fire as well. So I started off then. And, uh, and then actually the, the next year I, co- I moved down to Tallahassee. I was wanting to see if I could get on as a graduate assistant with Jimbo. Um, when he was at the helm and I ended up coaching high school football, that didn't work out. Um, and then I got my first uh, stint coaching in college with Terry Bowden at University of Akron with Chuck Amato being a defense coordinator who was my linebackers coach on my last two years um, at Florida State. And so from there, I went on to Louisville 14. I was actually here 14 as a graduate assistant as a young coach. And then I spent the last five years in Mississippi, one at Alcorn State, the last four at Southern Miss, uh, working with Jay Hobson. Um, two years as deep as line coach. So, so my, my last year to be line coach, 17, I actually played Florida State in the Independence Bowl. Um, and uh, the last two years, 17, and eight, uh, excuse me, 18 and 19, uh, working as linebackers coach in the, uh, and the Cody coordinator. So, and then here, now I'm back at Louisville, uh, coaching the inside linebackers. And so um, it's exciting, um, nonetheless. But that's kind of been my journey since since my playing days back in Florida State. He had some uh, some great influences, obviously, between Coach Bowden, Nick Andrews, Chuck Amato. How did maybe, even though you weren't thinking I'm going to be a coach, how did guys like that, when they talk to you about life and coaching and football, how do they maybe form who you are? And then down the road, you you kind of lean on what they taught you. Well, I I never wanted, you know, my goals. It's crazy how it works out. It's crazy how God you know, has his hand on you. Um, I didn't foresee myself being a football coach. It's not something that I wanted to do or thought that was something that God was leading me to. Um, I wanted to be a football player, play 10 years, build a church, um, you know, retire my mom and dad, live happily ever after. But it's crazy. It's not, it's not always your plan that works out. It's the plan that God has for you. So um, be honest with you, um, a statement that Bobby Bowden said to me on a Friday before a game uh, resonated with me, and it still does. And I and, and I say it to I say it to our guys is uh, he said, you know, one day I, everybody in this room is going to die, and I want everybody in this room, all you men, all you players and coaches, to be up there with me, and that's in heaven. When he said that, it was like, wow, statement of a coach. How, how, how much that, that statement impacted me. How I remember that statement very, very vividly. And how me transitioning in this profession, how I can hear that, I can hear that statement ring in my own head. I can still hear the voice of, of, of Coach B. And um, how that influenced me to influence other young people. Because at the end of the day, I don't think, and this is how I look at it, it's my opinion. I don't think the good Lord, when we, because we all go on one day, I don't think the good Lord say, well, you won the Sugar Bowl and the Super Bowl, come on in. He's going to say, what you do with the talents and gifts that I gave you. And so um, that resonated with me um, back back in those days when I was playing, especially with Bobby. Um, and this is one of the main reasons probably why I got into coaching to help young people. 
Now that you're a coach, what what did you realize when you got into coaching? Back in your playing days, you might have thought, and you don't have to name names, you know, I don't know why this coach is like this, or I don't know why they do it this way. And then you got into coaching, and you saw it from the other side and said, ah, now I understand. What, I what get it. it. Yeah, it, it, it comes full circle. It makes so much sense. Um, you know, looking at it from this opposite coaching view, you get it now. You get why um, coaches like, you know, Chuck Amato and Kevin Steele and Mickey Andrews and, you know, all the coaches that I've been, you know, um, blessed to play for um, was so hard, so hard on you and, and and wanted you to be great at the little things and be detailed and finite. Um, you realize it now, looking back at it. Um, at the time, you're like, man, why this guy? Well, why Mickey got to cuss me out for the thousandth, for the thousandth time? I, you know, why why I got to get cussed out every day? But you realize it now. Um, you know, being in this position, uh, every you never know when it's the play one that critical play to be that can be the the difference in the whole ball game, um, especially when it comes to football and you're working with different parts and pieces. Um, it's a true team sport, so you got to be detailed and and uh, meticulous and so on and so forth. And you see why those men were the way they were, especially when we got on the football field. This is um, your, your second run at, at Louisville after being there in 2014. And, and now, um, so you're a Winston-Salem guy, Coach Satterfeld, obviously at App State. Did you guys have a connection from – North Carolina going back, or what was kind of your tie to? No, I, no, but I knew the, I knew a lot of the same people. Coach Satterfield knew um, me. Growing, he actually recruited me when I was at Mount Tabor, and he was at Appalachian State. So I remember him. Um, I, re, I, I followed, I followed his success and followed his career when he was at App um, from afar. Um, I didn't know him personally. Um, things just happen, you know, like the good Lord works in mysterious ways. Um, I know we got a lot of North Carolinians, you can say, on the staff. So a lot of people that they knew, I knew, knew a lot of the same people. Um, a lot of things um, in common, share a lot of things in common. What Not just Cosette, but a lot of, of the coaches on this staff um, with, with a lot of the staff members from support staff to, to the, um, the full-time coaching staff being from the state of North Carolina. Well, moving to the game on Saturday, you want to share any tips on uh, how you guys are going to defend what Florida State is doing offensively? <laughs> well, Travis. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I'm at liberty to do that. I, I can tell you this though, um, yeah, Jordan, he's a very dynamic quarterback. He can throw it, he can run it. Um, um, I think he's intelligent and makes good decisions with the football. He has a lot of dynamics um, playmakers around him. Multiple guys in the running back position, uh, multiple guys in the receiver position, and their and their offensive line um, in particular. The last few games have really, really, really impressed me. Um, they have they, they're they're a lot better uh, unit than they were a year ago. Just watching tape, and uh, you know they, they they're going to be excited to come up here and play. I can tell you that the that coaching staff. There's a lot of good coaches. I know several of those coaches. They're 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 bright. They're smart. They're all innovative. Um, uh, I know they're going to have a good game plan for, uh, for us. Um, both teams need a victory um, desperately. And uh, so we'll see what happens. 
I'm going to stop this radio segment right here, but hang on because Bob may have a question or two. That's Derek Nicholson, who's an uh, assistant coach with Louisville, Florida State, and Louisville Reconnect. Good to reconnect with you, though. I know a lot of Seminoles remember watching you play. Congratulations on your success, Derek. Thank you. All right, we'll step aside, come back to Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and Keith with you as we wrap things up. Shout out to Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, Ron and his staff being longtime supporters of this program. Uh, despite the curmudgeonly nature of my co-host, they've been behind us all the way. So thank you, Ron. Go see him. A couple locations to choose from. Remember, bye week coming up next week. Bye week coming up. Last chance to get maybe some of those projects done before we decide it's too cold because now it's 55 degrees out and we can't go outside anymore. Uh, the leaves have started gathering in my yard, so uh, there will be uh, honeydews uh, in my future. Talking about basketball scheduling, Keith got me thinking about football scheduling. And I remember having this conversation with you, not specific to scheduling, but just college athletics. Way back in April, May, when everybody knew the budgets were going to be a mess. And the the overarching question was, is this going to be a message and everybody will start dialing back how much they spend on athletics? Or are we just going to revert right back to being out of control spending? And I think your answer, paraphrasing, was, well, history would sort of show that when things go back to normal, we'll go back right back to out-of-control spending. But my question related to scheduling is, now that we've seen more conference games for football, and there's been better excitement, and there's been fewer of the games, the guarantee games, might this mean that we would make some amendments? And I guess maybe I'm speaking of the ACC, or are we just going to go right back and say, well – Everybody's scheduled out for 15 years now, so we got to honor those contracts. So we're going to go back to playing, I bought this win, and I bought this win twice a year. Well, I think my personal opinion is that, that we'll go back to the way it was, but maybe for a reason that's different than you would think. I think what the pandemic has shown and what we've seen happen with the, uh, the F- FCS schools that have literally had to trim and and we've seen Stanford do it and some other FBS institutions. But I think there is a movement and a thought process that the big boys have an obligation to potentially take care of the little boys or the little boys aren't going to be around at all. And, you know, the haves are going to be able to survive and the have nots are going to fall by the wayside unless the haves share in a little bit of the, of the pie, so to speak. Now, that may be wishful thinking on my part. Uh, the, the FBS schools may be completely self-conscious and not worried about it. There is continuing talk that the pandemic will force the, the withdrawal or the, the, the leaving of the NCAA and the, the institution of some other type of governing body. But you can talk to the athletic directors who do have a big say-so in this, and they all understand that their budgets are under 
extreme pressure, and therefore the FCS schools' budgets are even greater pressure. And and I I'm sorry I ha- I just happen to think there might be enough, given the fact that you still want to have some wins, and it's easier to pay four hundred or six hundred thousand dollars than to pay an extra, you know, conference game that you might lose, and maybe somewhere in between those two is reality. But uh, I just bring up that point so we don't forget about it. Well, I guess to the ACC, I do wonder, because the in-between ground is not to say 10 conference games. The in-between for the ACC would be to, to move to nine, which some conferences have done way prior to this. Because then that's, if you know, instead of playing Louisiana Monroe and paying 1.2 for that game, you're not paying anything to play a conference game. But I don't even know if they'll get there, though, Keith, because if you think about it, if you're Florida State, that means their 12-game schedule for the next decade would be nine conference games, Florida, and then Notre Dame, Alabama, Georgia, and then one FCS school. So you're going to have one guaranteed win and 11 power five, and I just don't see at the end of the day that getting signed off on. That would be harsh. There's no question. And I think another wild card, although – At one point, I personally thought, you know, there was a growing momentum from Notre Dame to actually form, formally join the conference. Everything I read and hear about, you know, nobody's, I mean, ACC is talking about it, but nobody associated with the Notre Dame group and no one who has any thoughts about Notre Dame is talking about it. But your point is very well taken. Um, And, you know, who knows how this is going to happen? there's there's a gr- another group of thought out there that says that we're going to see some more conference realignment, that we're going to end up with four conferences with 16 teams, and either the Pac-12 or the Big Ten or the Big 12 is going to go away and get replaced by four, and those four will be strong enough that they leave the NCAA, uh, uh, adopt some other form of, of governance. You know, who knows? I don't know what the probability is on any of those situations the point being there's not a dominant you know the majority or even a significant minority of the people saying this is what we think is going to happen I know this the economics aren't going to get a lot better in the short term it's going to take a little while who knows how many student athletes are going to come back I mean this year is a mulligan everybody who's a senior on the FSU football team could say they want to come back for another year which is great for them but not if you got to pay for their scholarship costs now, they won't all come back, but that's a big budget number, and it's not just football. Agreed. And, you know, I still haven't – no one has told me if they're going to relax the 85 scholarship limitation. Have you read that or heard that definitively anywhere? Because at one point they were talking about if you come back and you weren't necessarily eligible for a red shirt or you were in your you know, sixth year of eligibility because you had already redshirted, You'd be allowed on the team. You'd be allowed a scholarship, but it wouldn't count towards the 85 commitment. Um, I haven't seen that talked about. Uh, and, you know, to muddy the waters even more, we've got huge conversations coming up in January about whether the one-time transfer with immediate eligibility becomes permanent. The NIL conversation and what or if uh, Congress does with that relative to implementation. I mean, there are a lot of uh, what ifs out there in the college game, particularly football, but all sports included, particularly football, that make uh, the next six, 12 months a pretty interesting period. One of them is the early signing period, Keith. Also that one, exactly. Which, 
is December 16th, which will be the that's and it's a three day period, I think. That's the Wednesday of the conference championship games, which would be played on December 19th. So you're going to have head coaches and assistant coaches trying to finish up uh, their recruiting and get these kids to sign then, or is that going to move? There's been and you, and you may have you may have kids that you're recruiting that you've offered and you want to sign, and you've never had a face-to-face meeting with them, and they've never been on campus. Now, th- th- those, there's ways around that. There's ways around that, and I know you start recruiting them when they're sophomores and juniors, and I get all that. But, but we're in dead periods. There's not face-to-face and there's not official visits going on. And that makes the argument that if you're Mike Norvell and company, you might sign fewer high school kids than you would normally and then roll the dice with the one-time transfer rule and plug some gaps there because at least you've seen those guys play at a higher level than high school. I mean, right now, exactly. high, you know, so everybody gets worried about how many high school kids. Maybe you want fewer and you want to you leave some holes for, for the transfer. I don't know. It's uh, it's crazy times in college athletics. I do know I feel better about the football times at Florida State right now, at least for one night in mid October, twenty twenty. I did. It was a, it was. Well, a- let's remember that North Carolina win goes out the window real quick if you stub your toe the next two weeks. Uh, well, I mean after the bye week. Obviously, I don't think anybody's looking ahead to Clemson and thinking Florida State can go toe to toe with them just yet. But um, if, you don't, if you don't travel and play well and potentially get a win at Louisville, continue to get better during your bye week. Um, as you get ready for Clemson, then this UNC win goes away. Uh, it, it becomes uh, an aberration and not as meaningful. And we, none of us wants that to happen. Did, did you, was that an aberration or an apparition? We are getting close to Halloween. Uh, I'm going to go with a spooky Casper thing. So – it's front row Knowles, but I happened to watch about five minutes of the Clemson game last week. And the five minutes I tuned in for was the first play, Georgia Tech hits a 60-yard pass to tie the game at seven. Oh, we got a ball game in Atlanta. And then the kickoff in the next play is 83 yards, Clemson scores, kickoff. The next play, Georgia Tech fumbles. Five minutes later, now I'm done watching. It's like 31-7 to Clemson. So to your point, no, we're not ready for the Tigers yet. But they are on the schedule. Yes, they are, and 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 hats off to what uh, Dabo and his group have been able to do. And the more I watch Lawrence, um, you know, I, I, I the comparisons to the Peyton Mannings of the world, you know, they just have to be there because he looks like him. Uh, his hair's a little longer. Peyton always had short hair, but uh, the ability to put the ball exactly where he wants it and to make the decision where he wants it, uh, he's he's very special. He's very, very special. Well, he's watching Joe Burrow get his brains beat in and take losses week in and week out, and the thought of going to the Jets, I hope that doesn't leave him to stay in Clemson, South Carolina. Well, well, think about this. When's the last time you had a college player with the same clout that uh, Bo Jackson had when he told Tampa Bay no, that John Elway had, that Phillip Rivers had, I mean, Lawrence may have enough leverage. In the leverage and enough in the quiver that, that he can dictate where he goes and what he does. Um, and it's been a while since we've had one of that caliber. Um, so it's, that part's going to be interesting, too. 
Well, unfortunately for Trevor, he's living in Jordan Travis's world these days, Keith. So he's just going to have to deal with that. And we'll do another show next week. <laughs> That's a stretch, Tom, but I'll go with it. <laughs> All right. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row. No, I had to bring it back to Florida State, Keith. We'll talk to you next week. We don't need no thoughts control.